Welcome to Planet Impact, a show about how non-conformist social entrepreneurs are changing the world. Here's your host, Manthan Shah. Hi everyone, today I have a super special bonus episode for you all. Today with us on the podcast, making it in collaboration with a good friend of Planet Impact, the founder of Ivy Advice, a YouTuber with 200,000 subscribers, and an Howard graduate. Her name is Taylor Renew, and you can find her YouTube channel called as Yes Renew. The links are in the description below. So about Ivy Advice, this is a platform that helps you get into any of the Ivy League colleges, and Taylor will tell you more about this in a minute. You can use the coupon code Planet Impact, that is P L A N E T I M P A C T, with no space, to get a two hundred dollar flat discount. This offer is valid to only the first twenty students. Links are given in the description below. So, hi Taylor, thank you so much for joining me on this bonus episode of Planet Impact podcast. I'm glad you could make it. How how yeah. are you doing today? Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing well. Another day in lockdown, just taking it day by day. Nice. Let me call myself the biggest fan and the biggest consumer of your content on YouTube. I came across your video, rejected from Stanford, accepted at Harvard, like three years ago while I was applying for colleges in the US. And I was just like taken aback with the quality of videos and just like the intellect that, you know, flows through your videos that I was hooked to it. And I've been following you throughout. And it's such a pleasure to have you with us today. It really is. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is actually the first podcast I think I've ever done. So this is really exciting for me as well. Let's firstly understand your story. So you grew up in uh, Wisconsin and Ohio. Please tell us what, what, what did you want to become when you were a child? Oh, man. So when I was a kid, there were three things I thought I was going to be. So I either wanted to be a professional football player, a professional baseball player, or I wanted to be a hotel owner, right? (laughs) And I mean, like, I literally kept the dream of being a professional football player and baseball player until the fifth grade, right? Like nobody could convince me out of it. And I, everybody was like, girls don't do that. Girls can't do that. And I would just be like, okay, well, like, watch me, I'm going to. And then I never actually joined football or baseball. So it was just, it was a pipe dream. I understand you were a very competitive, like a very smart student growing up. Were you like born genius or you put in a lot of work? <laughs> so I, uh, I'm of the idea that I definitely was not <laughs> born, born quote unquote genius. Although I think in middle school, I definitely thought I was right. Like I remember I used to have journals where it literally I'm like, I'm a genius. I need to record my thoughts so that I remember these like years down the line. And so I, I, I definitely don't think I was that smart, but I think it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where I had all these grandiose visions of myself. Like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm amazingly smart. I'm so good at art. And, you know, and I just happened to be like one of the fastest kids at my school too. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm an incredible athlete. And so I just like thought of myself so highly when I was younger. So I just kept striving more and more in each of those fields. And over time, you know, like success builds on success. So but like it's it sounds like a feeling like the quote in which what would you do if you knew you could never fail and it sounds like that like you were it's a positive self-affirmation in which you were so good at something and then you kind of 
kept on building upon that mm-hmm. so tell us about your college application process so i understand you you went to school in ohio is it yeah and like i can tell you you were like straight a student like a perfect 4.0 gpa good at arts good at sports so just like walk us quickly through your profile and tell us how your college application process was oh my gosh okay so i <laughs> i was so lost as a high schooler even though i was doing everything i was supposed to do i like i didn't have anybody around me who had ever gone to ivy league schools before and it wasn't like my goal was always like i want to go to an ivy league like i want to go to harvard i want to go to yale i just my siblings were about 10 years older than me and so i had seen them go to the university of wisconsin madison and milwaukee and i'm like oh my gosh college looks like best thing and so i was always working so hard and then finally when i got to my senior year of high school i realized i had done so well that i'm like well you know what why why couldn't i apply to an ivy league school and get in why why couldn't i but nobody in my immediate circle nobody who i knew had ever gotten into one of these schools right and so starting the application process was just like for me it was like walking into a cloud of fog right nothing made sense i was just kind of going question by question through the application and honestly i was <laughs> i feel like i was so lucky because i did some things that i realize now were just so 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 dumb like i spent zero time studying for the standardized tests like the act sat because i just thought like oh you know life is my preparation like i've been going to school for however many years i've been doing perfect in school i should be able to do perfectly on these tests Uh and so I took the test and you know of course I had never studied for them so I only did like uh I, I, you know I did I did pretty well I got a 32 on the ACT and wow uh a 2040 on the SAT but nowhere near as well as I could have done if I had actually studied and that was a 2040 with like the old scoring system oh yeah so what was the score that you applied to Howard with so um I applied with my ACT scores of a 32 because oh. that was comparatively better that is damn impressive i come from indian education system and like when i was in the senior year of high school that is 12th grade for us that's when i kind of discovered like what us application is and that you have to apply for sats and all that and mm-hmm. i just took it and it's so different from this this indian education or anything that we do in south asia that yeah. i mean i first scored 24 out of 36 and then mm-hmm. i scored 30 and if i had someone like you to advise me on this process then it would have been such a easy journey for me so again i mean taylor's ivy advice would definitely be an asset for anyone who's applying to the us system and like check out the link below so let's do a quick rapid fire for your application process tell us like answer this as quickly as you can and when i say okay. acd score you say um 32 okay okay let's do it so acd scores 2040 acd 32 Oh, uh, varsity sports like uh, sorry inter like your extracurriculars uh tennis soccer track uh debate club which was the be- best of all of these track how many recommendation letters two from whom uh from my lit teacher and my history teacher oh and also my counselor recommendation how many colleges did you apply to eight acceptance <laughs> accepted to 5 rejected from 3 accepted i believe 50 50 to the ivs 
Okay. Which were your top five, four IVs and which did you get into? So I applied to Harvard, Columbia, Brown, Yale, and then also not an Ivy, but still up there was Stanford. And I got into Harvard and Brown. I got rejected from Yale and Stanford and I got waitlisted to Columbia. Oh, sweet. And yeah. this brings me to the my one of my favorite videos from your channel, which is your Howard application essay. So I loved your essay so much. It's called The Oxymoron. And here is the clip from your video. Yet I understand the difficulty of bringing ideas to light. Determination takes ideas far, but true success is in the ingenuity and generation of thoughts. A strength of mind since childhood, my ability to spark interest develops with my continued involvement in art. My world consists of math books and track meets. It's the wonders of a painting class and the parenting of siblings. My world is young and hopeful, but practical always. To Torella, this is an oxymoron. To many, my life is a contradiction. Call it what they may, to me, it's balance. You can watch this video completely on her channel and it's called Successful Harvard Application Essay. And again, I'm giving the links below in the description. When I first heard it, it sounded a little abstract to me. I mean, a non-English speaker, but still like with all those like amazing videography and all that. So how did you come up with that? And how long did it take for you to craft that essay? Oh man, that essay? Um, to be honest, that essay was probably the shorter of my two main essays that I wrote. Uh, but I took probably about a week to write it. I initially wrote it for UC Berkeley. And that's why I probably didn't feel like there was that much pressure. They told me exactly what to write about. They're like, talk about your experiences through life and how that shaped what you wanted to do. And then I realized after I wrote it, I'm like, wow, this is really good. Like I should use this for my, for my Harvard application. Wow. Okay. And now let's like, you got accepted to Harvard and then I'm sure like the first couple of weeks might've felt like the best, like heaven, like the best place you could be. Right. Walk us through what the orientation was like and like, how can you like describe us how Howard looked like? Yeah. So when you get accepted to Harvard, they have this thing for a lot of freshmen called freshman orientation programs. And so they have like an outdoors program, like a city building program that you can do or the one that I did, which was called FAP, the Freshman Arts Program. And so I came in a week before and was hanging out with only artists, right, who got accepted to Harvard. Wow. And we, for an entire week, it was incredible. We developed in the span of like two days, a performance that we put on for all the students when they first got to school. And so it was like seeing all these brilliant minds, people who knew how to compose music, people who knew how to dance and like choreograph things. We got to see everyone come together and like create this performance out of nothing that was actually incredible, right? So um, that was my first taste of Harvard and coming in what it looked like. I mean, Harvard is like the quintessential college campus. Like, I don't know a place that looks more U.S. college campus than Harvard. 
right? It's like got all that red brick and like, you know, literal ivy on the walls. And then a, you know, a statue of John Harvard smack dab in the middle of Harvard Yard. So it's, it's everything I could have wanted. Yeah, a very New England-esque uh, landscape and surrounded by this equally intellectual like crowd and everyone is doing some amazing things and it's so exciting, I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, but like, surely you talk about this in your YouTube videos too, but it might get overwhelming in which everyone is so good at what they do and then you kind of start to compare yourself to them. So wh- like, like, why did you take it the other way? Like that I'm not good enough or was it like that or was it like empowering to be in that crowd in which you can be anyone you want to be? Yeah. So I think that's something a lot of people have when they get into Harvard is they have this imposter syndrome of like, I don't belong to be here. But I've always just had such a deep seated confidence (laughs) and like sense of my value. And I think also the fact that I worked so incredibly hard to be there, like I didn't even doubt for a second that I deserved to be there. I was like, finally, I'm with my people (laughs) now. (laughs) found my gang yeah honestly I really felt like that I felt like in high school I felt completely misunderstood and then I got to Harvard and it was like all these things I would typically have to explain to people it's like now that was all understood so we could get to like a deeper level of conversation yeah it was was super cool and and I never experienced anything like it before it felt like people could read my mind (laughs) I wish I want something like that in my life please (laughs) yeah so you you took economics as your major in Harvard, right? So how did you decide? Did you, were you always sure of this is what you want to do? Or did you kind of cascade into this? Well, I told you the third thing I wanted to do when I grew up, when I was a kid, was be a hotel owner, right? Yeah. And so I think that idea of like owning stuff and working with things that had a lot of money involved was, <laughs> you know, a theme throughout my life. Like I used to sit and count my money in my piggy bank and like organize it into like perfect like quarters, nickels. Like I used to be obsessed with money and like not something I'm necessarily proud of. But as you grow up, like you're like, okay, what jobs make the most amount of money? And people would be like, oh, like actuaries, oh, investment bankers, like you need to go into finance. And, And they're like, oh, so you love math. So you should just do econ. Um, and so I got to Harvard and I took all these econ classes starting out. Um, and finally, by the point I realized like, wow, econ might not actually be my thing, right? I was already halfway through sophomore year and I realized I had enough credits to graduate very quickly with econ. Uh, so I just took a few more econ classes. And then with the rest of my courses, I literally was allowed to choose anything I wanted, oh, right? So I kind of just... Had the econ degree pretty quickly. With the rest of my time, I just spent it doing whatever was interesting to me. That is very interesting. So I was just reading this book called Range mm-hmm. by David Epstein, and in like in the second chapter, he talks about like how all the um, majors that you take, like neurosciences, coding, and all that, these teach very specialized things in, in those um, aspects. However, mm-hmm. and when like he did an experiment or he interviewed someone who did an experiment in which they were giving uh, given a test in which creative thinking and design thinking was tested. Only the econ students performed the highest because they had this framework of thinking towards life, which was the most creative, which was most uh, design thinking oriented than any other mm-hmm. very specialized courses. So I think all in all, it played out, played out well. Don't you think? I absolutely think so. I always think about econ. It's something I would have never forced myself to learn on my own. 
And being that like, I'm also quite liberal myself, um, econ classes are a tad more conservative and they always force me to grapple with the other side and be like, wait, let's think about this. Like, does this actually make sense? Where's the truth in that point of view? Um, and so it, yeah, it, it definitely put like some lenses on me so that I could see the framework of all the other classes I took through an economic lens. Wow. Now let's get into more exclusive Howard uh, stuff. So tell yeah. me about the Porcelain Club and how exclusive that is. Oh, uh, that's pretty exclusive. And it's like the one club on campus where like they, I think they have a house, but nobody's allowed to be in it but them. And so you just like never see it. <laughs> but it's also like this club where they have this rumor where if you hit 30 without becoming a millionaire, the club will just like gift it to you, which I don't know whether or not that's true, but it just like gives you a sense of how elitist and how much like money is kind of running around in these final clubs. Wow. To our listeners, like in, in the US colleges, like if you don't know, there are different clubs and different houses. And like, especially for Howard, you're not allowed to stay on campus, correct me if I'm wrong, after your first year, right? So these oh. are, so like, I'm just trying to un- explain what is the origin of Porcelain Club. Maybe you could do a better job than me. <laughs> yeah, so actually 98% of Harvard students do stay on campus all four years. Oh, okay. So we live in a 12 different houses after freshman year, but those are those are just our residential houses. So like me, I lived in Elliott House. It's like this beautiful house. And when I say house, it means 400 to 500 people um, <laughs> where you have like a, a dining hall, you have a library, you have like wow. all these, a gym, you have everything you could ever need in these houses. Um, but final clubs are kind of like, they're kind of like Greek life, right? Like fraternities and sororities except these are Harvard style. And so basically there are these clubs that have been around as long as like presidents from Harvard, you know, (laughs) have been going to these schools. And they're basically just social clubs where people get together. They're, they're, now it's changing where they can't just be male only, female only. They kind of have to be co-ed. So they're in the process of shaking that Mm -hmm. up. But they used to be like male only or female only clubs where you got together, socialized, had a good time and would have parties and stuff. So they're essentially your social life on campus for party life kind of. Okay. Yeah. And they also do philanthropic stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, something like the old money really exists would probably have been felt there, right? Like in, in India, we have like royalties from Jaipur and like the Southern States of India which are just rich because they are rich. So, I mean, so, nope. so now like now that you finished Harvard and um, so usually like life after graduation for most of the Harvard graduates is usually people go to finance or consultancy and maybe, I mean, the former university president, uh, Drew G. Faust joined Goldman Sachs board, board of directors, like days after um, she was finished as a, her tenure as Harvard's president. So like everyone is kind of following the same track, although you're so intelligent, everyone has been to Harvard, but this kind of a trend towards that career, right? So you and you especially was courageous and brave enough to opt out of it and maybe think of life from a, from a distance. So what kind of impacted you to think that way? I think a lot of times I choose what to do in different ways than most people might. Um, to give you a sense, 
my, my internship after sophomore year, I decided to go out to Hollywood and see what life would be like there. Cause I know I had always been like inspired by Hollywood. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to go taste that, see what it's like. And then I realized that living in your dream doesn't always make you happy. So then the next year I decided, you know what, we're going to use the criteria of going to one of the best workspaces to work in, in Chicago. Cause that's my sister uh, worked there and it was this insurance company, right? So it was completely opposite end, but was consistently voted one of the best places to work. And then I'm like, oh, okay. So taking the, I mean, that didn't make me happy either. Right. So taking the dream out, but keeping the best place to work didn't make me happy. So another one of my criteria that I use to choose what I want to do is who are the people I'll be working around, right? And at Harvard, you see a lot of these econ guys <laughs> kind of going into finance. Um, and I never felt partic particularly good around the econ guys. There was just something about the way they interacted with me, spoke with me, that I'm like, this just rubs me the wrong way. And I'm like, this is not the type of person I want to become. It's not the type of value system I want to have. And so I'm going to find a different way to go about doing this. And I think one of the things I've always had on my side is that I'm very true to what I want. And at that time, I was obsessed, obsessed with growing my YouTube channel. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do something where I have the time to work on my YouTube channel. And I was also studying French. And I'm like, so I'm also going to find a way to get myself uh, to live in Paris wow. and keep using my French <laughs> and travel the world a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how did your parents take that? I mean, coming from an Indian society, if you do something which is non-conformist, it is looked upon. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure for you, it must have been like when you got into Harvard, the society was like supporting you. But when you chose something which was non-conformist, mm -hmm. did you get the same support? Yeah. So it's interesting. So I think my parents have always been supportive, um, but their first initial reaction is always a little bit of pushback, which when you're trying to do your dreams. Like Elizabeth Warren has this great quote that ideas are like children, right? When they're young, they can be knocked over so easily, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so when your idea is young and like somebody that you love and care about starts pushing back against it, you're like, oh my gosh, like it kind of shatters you. You feel like you have to, either it's the flight or fight response. Either you flight and you don't do the thing or you stand up and fight for what you want. And I think my entire life, I've always been one to say, no, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to go do. And so throughout a lifetime of fighting those battles with my parents, I think it gets easier and easier to like, kind of let your parents know, like, this is just who I am. If this is what I want, like, it's going to happen. Like, I'm going to be going after this. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But I'm glad mm -hmm. that they did come around and you were strong, like in your pursuit of fostering your child, the baby, like YouTube. So yeah. that was very impressive. So like, what did you perceive success in life then when you just graduated after Howard? Like, what was your definition of success then? And like, now it's been like four years to that. So like, how do you rate yourself? Have you been closer to that or not? I've had a hard time with the definition of success because you can sit down and you can define it as like success for me is happiness or joy on a near consistent <laughs> basis, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> but when you live in a society that has been conditioning you since childhood to feel like monetary success 
and you know, like career success is real success, then even though you say one thing, you can feel it differently. My version of success when I graduated Harvard was to build out that YouTube channel, to make an income off that YouTube channel and to make that YouTube channel successful, (laughs) successful. (laughs) Um, And, and I think I really did prove something to myself because I graduated with about 27,000 subscribers and I built that up to about 200,000, but I hit a point where I was just not happy, right? I was like, I had all these subscribers. I was bringing in money. I was living abroad. It's like, it was like the total dream, but I felt myself completely isolated and I was having to get in front of the camera and just felt like super down every day. And so I had to take like a lot of months to start redefining what success was and how I wanted to move in the direction to get there. And so for me, success looks a lot more like enjoying my day to day um, while progressing (laughs) toward my dreams while building up. And this is probably one of the most important things that I think sometimes high achievers have trouble with. Uh, For me, I want to build up a huge support system of quality friends and relationships, because for me, connection is my number one motivator. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so well said I mean absolutely and that is one of the most underrated like the support system is so important yet not focused upon so deliberately what advice would you give your own 18 year old self (laughs) oh man I would tell my 18 year old self to grab a piece of paper grab a pencil and start doing some internal soul searching about what you want and then go after a passive income idea immediately (laughs) (laughs) don't waste any time so when you graduate from college there's already money set up for you uh coming in so that you can be focusing on bigger things i'm glad i asked that question because i love this answer so passive incomes for sure like i think you have uh, recurring revenues from your uh, youtube ads or maybe passive incomes might apply writing a book and getting royalty or starting a company and selling it for a royalty basis. So what are the other uh, sources of passive income according to you? Oh man, there are a lot. So obviously there's like what I'm doing, right? You can grow a business uh, that eventually you can step away from and it can run on its own, right? Uh, You can create something like, so the business that I'm doing includes online courses, which I also think are great, like passive income sources, but other things that are more traditional, stocks, bonds, real estate, you know, you name it, just like, essentially, it's the rich dad, poor dad concept of like, build your assets up anything that's taking in money for you while you sleep. Mm. Um, Because I really feel like people undervalue so much that time is our most valuable asset. That's why it hurts me so much when people disrespect my time. And that's why I try to respect other people's time, because our time is so valuable. And if we can free ourselves from that 40 to 80 hour work week every week, we can give ourselves more time to work on things that genuinely change and shape the world without doing it for a paycheck. And and sometimes when you do stuff for money, it just like limits your creativity. And I think what we need is a little bit less of that. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Just to finish the first phase out, what is in, what is future for you? What is your next goals? What are the next targets and how maybe your listeners can support you in that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, right now I'm splitting off my business. So my yes or no content and my Ivy League content, I'm completely splitting that. So 
anybody who actually wants to come for Ivy League specific, education specific video content, they can now go to my YouTube channel called Ivy Advice. I uh, just started that literally yesterday. So I'll well, be reloading. Yeah, thank you. So I will be reloading all my education, all my Ivy League content to that and growing out that channel specifically for that. I'm going to continue doing my artsy videos on yes or no. And so so we'll completely have those two different paths. If they want me for art and ideas, they can go to yes or no. If they want me for college admissions advice, they can go to Ivy Advice. Wow, impressive. So that is very exciting to know. I wish I knew you before while I was applying for colleges that would have really saved a lot of money and a lot of time and better yeah. results. <laughs> Tell me Taylor, do you, like I got rejected from Brown and I was heartbroken at that point so much. But eventually mm-hmm. I got accepted into this business school which takes me to like six countries in four years and I'm I'm enjoying my life. So yeah. Do you think like if someone gets rejected from Ivy like IV is equal to success in life and not getting into IV is not do you what do you think about that no absolutely not um, <laughs> so ivy leagues are purely a signal right they're a signal to everyone in the world that like you're capable of accomplishing something uh but as far as like success in life i literally feel like everybody needs to sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and write out what that is that they want to get to um and ivy like going to an ivy league is just one step in some people's journey to get to that thing they ultimately want yeah right um but if what you want is man you could define what you want as anything <laughs> if what you want is to create a successful business well there are a million different roads you could walk to get yeah. there right so it's just about knowing what you want and realizing that there yeah are so many different roads to get there and ivy leagues are just one of them yeah okay podcast listeners the last question was for me personally i hope you enjoyed that one as much as i did so now taylor let's get into the lightning round in which i'll be asking you quick bit questions and uh let's get to know you as a person So the first question is uh, what is your favorite book? Uh Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> oh, that's specific. I thought you would be the one who'd say give me three options because the amount of books that you read on your channel that's just impressive. Yeah. <laughs> well, all Thanks. my other books just like you you kind of read them, you take them in, you forget about them, but Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire has stuck with me my whole life, so. <laughs> so what is your favorite music the artist or a song dog days are over by florence and the machine i love it because it's simultaneously so sad and it's a song you listen to when you're so sad or so happy but it's like that turning point for bringing joy <laughs> you've traveled a lot so the third question is what do you what is your favorite travel destination oh my favorite one is probably tokyo is probably the coolest ooh exotic if you're on their like metro subway system it literally feels like you're floating on air i like i admire the japanese for their efficiency and well constructed <laughs> technology cuz trust me i lived in munich uh even the germans don't touch the level of efficiency that japanese get to yeah no i think the western world really underestimates the eastern world they come mm-hmm. to hong kong singapore 
Indian cities. Feel it for yourself. And mm-hmm. with this, I'd like to invite you to India. Let's do yeah. a Vipassana together. Absolutely. I need to come. I want to come. I was so close to coming to India two years ago. So. Okay. So what is one thing from your childhood that you still have and you'd never throw away? That's a great question. Um, see, that's a tough question because I'm pretty minimalist. So I toss, I toss a lot of stuff. I like, don't like to get attached to items too much, but I do have, you, you know what it is? my diaries. I wouldn't want to get rid of my diaries. Like the first time I ever kissed a boy, (laughs) right? Like all those things. I I wouldn't want to get rid of those. What is one thing you wish your phone could do? Ah, I wish my phone could shut off immediately whenever I'm doing anything that is not productive or bad for me and say, Taylor, stop looking at a screen and start living life. (laughs) (laughs) that is hard for a social media like a person who's so um producing content but okay yeah if i weren't if i weren't a youtuber i'd probably delete all my social media accounts right now (laughs) would you would you consider yourself as a stoic because you've given up alcohol for seven months and chocolate is up out and mm-hmm. you always come out as like the self-improvement, a very productive, efficient, healthy person. <laughs> so what is this life? What is this lifestyle? Is it like stoic or what? Well, stoic is like trying to get control over all your emotions, right? And like kind of like that, the Taoist yeah. belief, like things go and change and like no bad. I mean, I haven't studied Taoism, but like I imagine it's uh, like that Shakespeare quote, like there's nothing either bad nor good, though thinking makes it so. I know that that's true. I know that our whole world is just the stories we tell to ourselves. But at the same time, I don't feel like stoicism is the answer because it feels so gray, right? Like, yeah, it feels like just shutting off all your immediate emotions. And I feel like there's some truth to our default modes, mm-hmm. right? The emotions that all of us immediately want to have there's there's some truth to that and so i wouldn't want to shut that off completely mm. just a question out of my on top of my head so after graduating from harvard do you still get to have these deep conversations with people around you or is it far uh rare now than it was in harvard man they're far and few between um i've tried to keep up with people from harvard because that's where i feel like i really continue to have them but yeah not nearly as much i felt like i had a lot of them out in new york I feel like a lot of people there are very oriented that way, but so much of the conversation now is around like money and career. And it like, it's kind of sad in a way (laughs) (laughs) I would love to focus more on like life shattering ideas. Um, Yeah. yeah. And and so I I need to find some environment that I can throw (laughs) myself back into like that. So if you know of any, you know, Taylor, can, can, I, can I ask you to be my best friend, please? I'd love to participate in this conversation. And ah. <laughs> well, it's official now. It's going on my Instagram. I think my best friend from childhood would be so jealous right now. She, <laughs> she's like, we pinky promised best friends forever. Well, we have this on podcast. That's better than pinky promise. Yeah. Well, 
Okay. So uh, my actually next question was, what is your favorite uh, piece of literature or a quote? But the one that you gave from Shakespeare was pretty impressive too. Well, I have two more that I love, if Ooh, I can share them. Go for it. Yeah. So one's an anonymous quote. I don't know who wrote it. It's just floating around the internet of never chase love, affection, or attention. If it isn't given freely by somebody else, it isn't worth having. Um, so that's one of them. And then another one is an Eleanor Roosevelt quote, which is nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. Ooh. Yeah, I love both of those. Food for thought. Mm-hmm. Something to dwell upon. Something that goes in my journal tonight. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So last two questions are, what is your single greatest embarrassment in your life? You can give three if you want. You know, the most embarrassing thing I remember my entire life, and I feel bad every time I think about it, is in the second grade, we were playing this game where when you won, you won prizes, and every kid had brought in a prize. And one kid brought in a keychain, and that's what I won. And I started crying because I didn't think his gift was like good enough. His prize was good enough. And then I realized like, oh, that prize had been given like by the, you know, poorest kid in the class. And even in second grade, my heart sunk because I just understood how like ungrateful I had been. And like, I just still to this day, it like, like just makes me feel awful that I was so ungrateful. Um, and that he probably felt some kind of secondhand embarrassment. And I just like, I don't want to make anyone feel that way ever. So yeah. yeah. Well, that is like your six year old, old Ben, but that is, yeah. Yeah. I might've been seven. Seven. Okay. <laughs> it made me feel bad and I still remember it. And the worst part is, is that teachers and parents tried to placate me later by like, buying me better stuff. And I didn't, I didn't deserve a different prize. You know, like I just felt so guilty afterwards. So, but that is yeah. quite impressive that you were wise enough to think of that at that age. I mean, that is impressive for me as a, as a listener, but yeah, thanks for sharing that. You, you're very, very empathetic and very warm hearted person. Like I have, this is the first time that I'm talking to you, but still I can get feel the vibe. So mm-hmm. the last question is what do your single greatest success that you consider in your life? I still think it's getting into Harvard. That was, I mean, as much as I need to be going on the internal search for self, (laughs) I don't think I've made a lot of progress in that realm, but I do think proving to myself that I could accomplish something that wasn't even in my realm was a huge revelation for me. I mean, I went from being somebody who used to suppress all my emotions to that day when I got accepted, I I cried for two weeks straight. And I had never cried out of happiness before. Howard is definitely, I mean, a one big success landmark in one's life. Philosophically, as a fan, as a listener, as a supporter, as a subscriber, I think what you're doing with your channel is definitely best success worthy, which impacts more people than you think, because of course, you're not seeing them, your viewers already. You're seeing the comments though, and I'm sure you're getting really good stuff on that. But as a voice to them, Although I'm not that great, but I think you're doing a great job there too. And that is very success worthy too. So keep doing that. Keep, uh, keep being you. Taylor, we support you. Oh, that is so kind. Thank you so, 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 so much. It like, it, it, it honestly, it means a lot. Cause yeah, I don't see my subscribers all the time. And so, yeah, it means a lot. <laughs>
So now tell us how can your listeners reach out to you? I mean, your YouTube channel link is below your Instagram. Yes, you know, the link is below. And how else do you want them to reach out to you? And for what purposes? Yeah. So um, obviously, YouTube comments, I see every single one of them. Wow. So if they want to write something that will be seen, you know, that's definitely the place to go. I can't respond to everybody because that would just be like, I would have no life other than responding. Um, but yeah, so yes or no is a place to go if they want to engage with the artsy stuff. Ivy Advise is the place to go if they want to engage with the educational stuff. Um, and if they want to reach out and, you know, take the online course or see a free copy of my essay, um, there should be links for that as well all over my Ivy Advise website. And I'm sure we can also put them in the description. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So this was an amazing, amazing podcast interview with my favorite YouTuber, Taylor Renault, and someone you should look up to if you want to get into Harvard and just her intellectual uh, entertaining content. Thank you so much, Taylor, for joining me on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for having me. Amazing. Guys, go follow Taylor on all her Instagram, YouTube, all her platforms. 